is Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, KOTO listeners. You are tuned in to Off the Record. I'm Julia Caulfield. I'm going to be hosting the program this evening. And today we are talking with the Telluride School District Board of Education. Typically, we would have had a candidate forum with the folks running for the school board in 2021, but all the incumbents were running unopposed and choosing to run again. And so we just, I guess the school board decided, we'll just not do it this year. (laughs) But we figured it would still be a good idea to check in and see how everything is going on the school board front. Um, Of course, If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to give a call. This is an important, our schools are an important piece of our community. So feel free to give us a call, 970-728-4333. Let me introduce my guests. We have Cheryl Miller, who is the president of the school board. Hi, Julia. Hello. Thanks for being here. Uh, Jill O'Dell is the vice president of the school board. And we are also joined by John Pandolfo, who is not on the school board, (laughs) but still a very important person within the school district. He is the Telluride School District Superintendent. Thank you all for being here. You're welcome. Thanks, Julia. So starting off with a big question that probably to y'all feels like a question with an obvious answer. I think I can guess it. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, what is a school board? And what, what do you do? And why does it matter? Was that the question you thought it was going to be? No. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to hear the answer to that one as well. I figured it would have something to do with COVID. Uh, We'll get there. (laughs) So so the school board is the public uh, representation. It's kind of a, I see it as a liaison between the public at large and parents and the administration. It is also the entity that sets goals and objectives for the district as a whole. What do we want to look like? Where do we want to go? and then um, works with the superintendent on the means. And the the superintendent is the executor who executes those goals. Perfect, very succinct. Jill, did you have something you wanted to add? Um, Yes, we manage the budget for the school as well, for the district as well, so taxpayer funds and how we manage them. Um, So that's an important role as well. Yeah, well, we were going to get to that at some point as well. But since you just mentioned it, let's kind of dive right in. And <laughs> when it comes to, I mean, just big picture, when it comes to the budget, how is it, how is it looking for, <laughs> for the school board at the minute, or for the school district, rather? So, so right now, because of a, a number of grants and, and uh, emergency funds that have come through, yeah, it's it's solid, and the, the the budget has been sound for as long as I've been paying attention, which is like twenty five years. The but the way it works is unfortunately very complicated. So, in a nutshell, the state works out through this complicated formula how much money we should get based on the number of students and our characteristics: small, large, that kind of thing, cost of living and then says, okay, this is how much money you can spend. And then some of that money comes from local property taxes, some of it comes from the state, some of it comes from the feds, um, and some of it has strings attached. Often the money from the feds has strings attached. But then that gives us the ballpark of what we have to work with. And then we have to 
figure out how to meet our mission of educating you know children from three-year-old to graduation and uh, and the best way and how we want to formulate it and how we can best use the funds to facilitate our goals you mentioned um obviously we will we'll kind of touch on different things and dive into different things as well but with covid different funding has come through um in different means and that has to go to different places as well so when you're thinking about um the type of funding that we're getting as covid relief how is that factoring in and how do you think about that kind of in the long term of this these aren't funds that are going to be here for forever so that's something that uh, John just went over last night at District Accountability, and that is that um, there's very specific uses for that money. We can't just pop it into the budget. Um, we have to use it in very special ways, and he's uh, came up with a very deliberate plan of what do we need that's justified and, and allowable, and then has looked for grant money, and we just found out that we got the San Miguel... Yep, a Behavioral Health Solutions Grant which will help us to continue many of these um, positions and, and programs that we have started with the COVID money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we've definitely used some of the money. Um, we saw an impact to kids after remote learning. Um, so we're using some of these funds to help gain ground with our kids that maybe fell behind in math and reading especially. So we've created a lot of interventions for kids um, that have started to look very highly effective. So we're really happy about that. We're seeing results and we'd love to see some of those programs continue after those funds run out. Um, We've also used funds for social emotional learning. Um, We've seen an impact to kids emotionally post-pandemic and remote learning um, and behaviorally. So we're using money for that as well. Um, and, and you've used some of the money for just cleaning the air in the school. Yeah, kind of um, one-time upgrade. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, maybe John can elaborate on Yeah, that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's a smaller chunk of money for us out of the total money that we receive, but money for, um, you know, uh, PPE, personal protection, protective equipment, masks, um, ventilation, better increased ventilation. We're fortunate to have good facilities, so we have not used it the scale of money for ventilation projects, let's say, that some other school districts were able to do with ESSER funds, and we have been able to really put it on a lot on personnel um, costs that specifically help students. You know, some of the COVID testing that we did, the staffing for that, was also funded by ESSER, but I would say, you know, a minority of that, and we've really been able to focus the use on doing what we can to bring the best education to students, both when the pandemic first started all the way through, and then now as we're hopefully coming out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to take a step back for a moment, and both Cheryl and Jill, I would love to hear, you know, the school board is a position that you have to run for. It's an Mm -hmm. elected position. Um, What was it that made each of you want to be on the school board, part of this group? And, I mean, running for an office is no small feat. Um, What made you take the dive to be part of this? So, essentially, it, it sounds weird. It started years before I ever ran, and that was when my kids first started school, um, I decided to offer each one of their kids an hour a week, their teachers. 
and I'd do whatever they wanted. I'd run Xerox, I'd grade papers, I would supervise kids. You tell me, I'll do it. And it varied. Sometimes I was taking kids to the computer lab and just getting familiar with it, since I have a background in dinosaur computers. And um, so through that, I got more engaged and more involved. And first it was budget committee, and then it was accountability committees, and then it was curriculum. And, and then a point came where there was an opening, um, and I was asked, I thought about it, and I said, okay, I guess it's just the next step in what I've been doing. So I served six years that round, because I was appointed for two and then ran for the last four. Took four years off and back halfway through my next term. Nice. Yeah. Jill, what about you? My story is um, a little bit different. I um, began working in, this, in our school district as a contractor. I'm an occupational therapist um, in 2001 and worked for 16 years in, in all of the um, BOCES districts in this area. So Norwood, Uray, Ridgeway, Telluride, and West the West End, thank you. And Paradox, all the way out to Paradox um, for a number of years. So um, prior to that, had worked in the public school system in Baltimore City. So I'd seen a wide variety of schools and um, was very, very proud of, of this school district. Um, had two kids in the in the public school system, but over the course of the um, years that I spent in the school, I felt like there was a shift in morale and leadership, and um, frankly felt like there was some changes that needed to happen. Um, at that point, we made some decisions within our family um, to pull one child out of the public school, but um, that was the impetus for me to run for the school board. I definitely don't believe in walking away from a problem, but in trying to fix it for the greater good. So I ran for the school board and it's a huge responsibility and a great honor. And I can say that now after four years, I was not hesitant to run again. I was really excited about running again. I wasn't excited about an election and I was relieved that we didn't have to do that, <laughs> I'll be honest. But um, I was really excited to be here again and I'm so, so proud of the progress that we've made. Um, John is uh, probably, I mean, he was the Vermont Superintendent of the Year um, and I think he'll probably be the Colorado Superintendent of the Year at some point. He's um, provided excellent leadership through a super difficult time and um, and he's helped us to um, also hire a great TIS principal and implement a lot of great changes in the intermediate school. Um, so I'm really, really quite proud of where we've gotten. Um, and we've certainly worked to identify what our strengths are and what we still need to work on. Um, so I look forward to the next four years or three and a half. Yeah. So. Julie, can I just jump in Go for a for second it. there too? So, um, you know, as you mentioned, our school board members are, they're elected officials. Um, and it's a challenging role, and it has been more challenging, I would say, in the last two years than, you know, than at any time, arguably. And I just want to commend our own board for stepping up, really for working together, because what we're seeing across the country is a lot of divisiveness, and that really infiltrates into school boards and school districts. So, And I would just note that um, we just finished the month of January. That was actually, uh, it was... Um, I believe it was titled School Board Appreciation Month by our governor. And so I think it was very apt um, for us to just recognize 
the effort that these folks put in, um, a lot of hours, um, no pay, and it's really just dedication to the community. So, yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you. Yeah, and and to follow up on that, um, we we have five school board members. We certainly don't always and shouldn't always see eye to eye brings up good conversation and seeing another's point of view and really trying to get the representation from the entire community with five people. Um, but we always come to an agreement. We always support that agreement. So I, I feel like it's, I'm on a number of boards and this is a very good cohesive group of really smart, hardworking, dedicated people that are, are I can honestly say here for the right reasons. So. Mm -hmm. It's it's been a pleasure to work with all these people. And I'd say it's what's amazing is, with all the hard work that's been going on, the board has agreed to take on even harder work, and that is to become officially what they call policy governance, which is to really dive into what policies do we have, do they fit, do what can we set up so that our policies are more big picture and goal setting, and less down into the weeds. And um, the policy manual we had, well, you can't see my hands, but it must have been three inches thick. And that was seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it felt like seven. <laughs> and so, you know, we've been working with the, some professional organizations, the, the CASB, which is the Colorado Association of School Boards. And, but the board has to do the actual work. They can give guidance. And everyone's dug in and, and taking it seriously. And I, I think we're going to have a really good result. It's kind of going to take a year or two to really get it solid, but it's um, good work. Mm -hmm. Can you touch a little bit more on that in terms of when this process is finished, what, what will look different in terms of um, how the, the board is run or what, how people see? Um, will, like, will people who have their students in the school district notice a difference that y'all have gone through this process? You know, they probably won't. And, you know, because we have an excellent educational system. I think the difference will be the communication level between the superintendent and the board so that we are focused in on key areas that we see are either doing well or, or need improvement and um, work out metrics for measuring that as opposed to being reactive to the moment. Now, COVID, we had to be reactive to the moment all the time, so it's kind of nice to start working towards more deliberative forward thinking work. And so I think that's probably the essence of it. Instead of, you know, so-and-so was mad because the bus was dirty this morning when their kid got on. Okay, well, that's actually not, shouldn't be a school board issue, but it can become one if we allow it. And so it's taking some of the operational stuff off our plate and allowing us to look more globally and educationally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, as you've, mentioned or alluded y'all aren't in the schools on the day to day john obviously you are to varying degrees i assume in classroom or in your office mm -hmm. but it, I, i'm correct we just passed the 100 day mark of the mm -hmm. school year mm -hmm. i remember the 100th day of school from when i was growing up in elementary school and it was always like the biggest holiday of the school year <laughs> um given we're more than halfway through at this point how do you feel like the year is going? I mean, we're in the third school year of COVID and also just another school mm -hmm. year. How is, how is it going for y'all? I think it's, you know, I, we've gotten into kind of a rhythm, 
you know, of, of how the safety protocols work, you know, where they can shift and change, um, and how we can do education. And I have to give uh, kudos to the staff or a plot or whatever accolade is appropriate because they dug in the summer between when COVID first hit and the next school year to look at what it, does it take to do online learning? How do you make it effective? Um, and when we had to go remote, uh, and even before that, they were just jumping in and doing it and working really hard. It was very difficult for them. And, um, but our results, I mean, COVID affected every student in the nation, probably in the world. Um, but we have had better learning than many. So one example is um, intermediate reading scores, which the state consider very important, um, were twice as high as the state average. And so much so that our state rep, Joyce Rankin, who has reading as her high priority, came by and when she was touring and said, can I come by and see what you guys are doing? I want to see how you did this in the middle of COVID. And uh, she spent a day and an evening with parents and it was quite a pat on the back to say, okay, we didn't do as good as normal, but we did as well as we could. And then this year, early indications are that we're doing even better. You know, we've committed to full in-person learning. We got some of the mitigations changed, like the six-foot social distancing is reduced to three because of the multi-layers that we're doing, which allowed every kid to come in every day. And um, early indicators are that we're doing even better. So I'm, I'm very proud, frankly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and overall, I mean, kids are in school, they're playing sports, they're doing the plays, they're participating in clubs, they're having a, a dance, um, the winter formal on ice, apparently. Ice capades meets, meets high schoolers um, in February. So a lot of things are getting back to normal at school, and it just feels and, good and in a um, big way we've got more kids in clubs more kids in sports than ever before mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the kids are coming back with gusto mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's amazing um you know on that note i kind of want to take that idea in a couple different ways but one of them obviously we do still have all of these covid protocols obviously we're all wearing masks in here per mm -hmm. county ordinance um you know, what does that look like for the school, for the school district, if some of those are even pulled back further on a county level, you know, will the school district keep masks even if they're not required to, or what might that look like? So that's some of the discussion we'll have to have in the moment. We're looking at the whole system wide. Early in the year, um, we made a decision that for buildings that had children that couldn't be vaccinated, that we would continue mass, whether it was a uh, countywide mandate or not. Um, going forward, we'll just have to evaluate. Frankly, nobody wants mass, but we are responsible for the health, safety, and welfare of a thousand souls. And we take that very seriously, every one of us. So, you know, because we've got vulnerable people, you can't dismiss them just because they're vulnerable. You know, we've got young children, we've got from three and up. So it'll be a long, difficult decision, but we'll try and do the best we can, always trying to balance out what's best for education and what's 
and with health and safety. So some of the things, um, like we do work on uh, maintaining as much three-foot distancing as we can. We'll probably still do that the re- yeah, as long as there's virus in the community. Um, lunch is a, is a little bit different, especially at the elementary school, because the music room is too small for distancing, so they've moved into the cafeteria. So the kids have their lunch in the classroom. And that'll be evaluated regularly also. But so there'll be some changes, but until this is done, I don't think we'll have 100%. But we have had a lot of good changes since last year. We have um, recess by grade level instead of by classroom. We have um, normal scheduling for the high school and the middle school and the intermediate school. We have specials that are scheduled in normally, you know, where you get one day a week of music instead of a, a block of two weeks. Um, we have what they call wind time, which is a time when all the kids get what they need. If they need extra help in reading, extra help in math, they go to those areas. If they need enrichment, they go to those areas. So that's back. Um, what else? There's a bunch of stuff that's back. Sports is another big one that's mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I want to add that I think, you know, as a as a district generally and and the board especially, we're, we're very grateful for um, county health leadership through all of this. And we have trusted their decisions and stood by them and, and, and thank them for making sure that they keep our community safe and, and the people in our school as well. So um, I personally, you know, if there's a change, I think that um, we, we will have a discussion, a change at the county level. We will certainly have a discussion, but um, I would lean to following Grace's lead here. Um, and so. they've been very responsive. John has mm-hmm. frequently, or any of the principals, has said, okay, you've just said this. What does that really mean? How does that really look? Can we do it this mm-hmm. way? And it often comes back to, well, how many different layers of protection do you have? You've got these. Okay, then we can ease up on this and so it's always this balancing act and grace has been excellent about working those through and the principals and and john have been very good about asking the questions instead of just saying oh we got to do it that way Mm -hmm. but saying can we do it a little bit different so it works better for the kids and julie if i can just add you know i think it is both i would say collaboration at the board level and between the board and administration and you know the collaboration that we've had with public health throughout not only trying to understand but having trying to help them understand our perspective and one of the things that became important along the way is that you know it's not it is not fair in many ways to have a double standard where we say this is what happens in the community and this is what happens in the schools and we hear a lot from many different sides about the students kind of paying the price so to speak and so we have really made the point to public health that if they are going to consider recommending a change to the board of county commissioners that they recommend a change that doesn't just fit outside the schools but fits inside the schools and we've had that discussion you know at the board level so that we can feel like we have a level of confidence in making the decision and have the information you know we've requested and received 
um, as much as the data is available, what are vaccination levels for different age groups so we know what the protection layers are, just all of those pieces. And, and what do we really, you know, what is the latest information that public health is able to get on, you know, the impact of different mitigation strategies, including masking or not masking, vaccination or not vaccinating, um, on, you know, what the level of risk is ultimately. And we know that um, it's not as easy to communicate for us here as adults um, wearing masks. It's not as easy to communicate in the classroom. But if that's what we need to do for safety, we'll do it. And it's really finding that balance. And that's what we've been really working hard with public health on. Yeah. John, I know that we've talked about this before as well, but, you know, maybe looking for some of the silver linings <laughs> of there have been a lot of changes to how um, school and education takes place since COVID. So from the board's perspective, you know, what are some of those things that maybe never would have been implemented had it not been for COVID, but now that it's in there, now that it's happening, you're realizing these are actually good practices that we want to carry forward mm -hmm. into whatever a post-COVID mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. looks like. <laughs> I mean, I'll say um, one of them, and it's really, it's fairly simple, but having meet, having access to meetings and conferences via Zoom yeah. so that people can be in other locations or parents can do their um, their child's conference on Zoom when they're at work during a quick break. Um, that's been huge. We can have more mm -hmm. attendees at our school board meetings, at our district accountability meetings, and our accountability meetings building-wide. So um, I think that's a huge thing that I'd like to yeah. see yeah. stick around. To continue a access. blended access. Mm -hmm. yeah. A blended access, right, because a lot of us look forward to being in person again, and um, sometimes it's not possible. So. I, I think that's a, a huge benefit. You know, another thing that I, I found, I don't, it's not really something to continue, but really I think we found out that we're a lot more resilient as humans than, than we thought we were. I mean, it's, we just kept plugging along, you know, and, and, and the kids are far more resilient really in many ways than the adults have, have been. They, they are, they find joy in the everyday and, um, they love, they, most of them love to come to school and learn and they love to play with each other and they love to talk and do sports and um, they've kept being kids, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to, you know, gloss over the fact that yes, we have seen some, some challenges socially and emotionally, but we're addressing that. And um, I, I don't know that that's all because of the pandemic. I think there's a lot of things that are causing stress and yeah. But, but I do think the pandemic has highlighted it because mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. a the social emotional piece is something we've been building on for mm -hmm, a long time, mm -hmm. but the pandemic kind of highlighted things mm -hmm. across our society and, and in school as well, and so I think that's a piece the expansion in the the oh what am I trying to say um, social emotional curriculum well not, yeah or the vibrancy the 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 depth of our program. Um, it's probably something we'll look to try and continue because the need has always been there. It's just that we can see it clearer now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we've expanded interventions in math mm -hmm. and, and, and reading by hiring more staff and pulling more kids in that might not have um, been getting that help before. Um, and so being able to continue that and really, you know, cast a wider net and make sure we're meeting every child's needs as best that we can is, is is going to be good. So we've learned a little bit about how to how to help kids better um, and and what it takes. So, so. 
one that's not real obvious and we're not doing this year, but um, that I saw during the pandemic is there were a, a handful of kids, certainly not a majority, but that actually did better with independent learning, where they were told what they need to do, they got it done, they got it done you know, in a timely manner, were able to go live their life, maybe ski more, maybe hike more, and, and still do good work. Um, and that's primarily older kids. They have that independence. But I would like to find a way within the, the state laws and rules to for kids that that is appropriate for to be able to do that because for some kids it, it actually accelerated their learning taking that ownership and being independent. Mm-hmm. Now it's not right for all kids by any means. And Julie, if I could give just an example of one very simple thing, which we did more of last year, but some teachers are still doing it this year. When we have classrooms where um, students don't spend their whole day with one core teacher, for example, in our dual language program, um, we have always traditionally had the students move. And um, for kindergartners or various different grade levels, that's a big transition having kind of like two desks, two sets of classrooms. And what we began doing mainly for a health and safety, um, you know, mitigation, uh, you know, tactic is to have the teachers actually move. And one of the things that they found is, you know what, the kids do a lot better with that. So there's a lot of little things, as you said, little silver linings that, you know, come out. And I would just add the, you know, the increased ventilation that we have is certainly better for everyone's health. And so... We learned a lot through different things that, mm-hmm. you know, we wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Mm-hmm. There's many silver linings. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all touching on them have made me think of other things that I definitely want to um, talk about as well. I also want to remind our listeners, you're tuned into Off the Record. We're talking about uh, the school board and with several members of the school board this evening. If you have a question or comment, please give us a call. 970-728-4333. You've all mentioned and talked about the social, emotional, the mental health side of students, which is obviously a huge piece. Um, But teachers are there also, and we know that this has been a really challenging time for teachers and staff. So I'd love to hear from the school board's perspective, what is y'all's role or responsibility in, um, in helping to ensure that teachers and staff have a place that they feel um, is that they're able to go and pr- give their best selves to the students? Well, the first step is that they feel safe in their work environment. And so that's where the safety protocols come in of finding that balance so that the teachers feel safe. And um, But I think it's also being cognizant of the workload and seeing how, how we might be able to shift schedules. or And that often comes down to the principal navigating that for their building, because it's different with each building. Um, but they are very aware. Um, and uh, TEF did an amazing job of community support to help the teachers out, whether it was meals or just little goodies or different things that were showing up regularly, mm-hmm. saying, we know this is hard, thank you. And that was very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to cut in real quick. Yeah, yeah. 
a little plug for TEF. Thank you so much to for supporting our schools through this. The TEF is the Telluride Education Foundation. It's a nonprofit that works to support our schools. The campaign campaign is still ongoing. It's the Telluride, the Telluride Compassion Campaign. So if anyone has it in their heart to donate, the money will go right back to teachers and students. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and, and they do all kinds of things that are unique to the community, whether it's helping out with daycare or long commutes or um, it just depends on the individual need, but mm -hmm. they're there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And one, you know, one of the things that I think we often say is it's always a hard time to be in the business, but it's a particularly hard time to be in the business. It's a hard time for board members. It's a hard time for superintendents. It's a hard time for students. It's it's a very, very hard time for teachers. And I think they have shown, again, a level of resilience and dedication and what they bring. And they're first and foremost really concerned about students' well-being. And we have had to shift some focus at times, and it varies by grade level and everything else, on how much are we really um, looking to make sure students are okay versus, let's say, a more pure academic type mm -hmm. focus. And that's where that social emotional learning and our multi-tiered system of supports kind of comes in. So I think, you know, we have made efforts just to show teachers how much we appreciate the effort that's gone in. And, you know, we all sometimes get let's say critical feedback but i think i've seen a lot of positive feedback and appreciation for what teachers are doing for students and families as well, well so and we it, can't say that enough and to make a plug when he says show he means it literally i'm not sure you got a ski day in last year and he loves skiing hmm. because he was working so hard to keep the system going and to take care of problems and make sure that nothing fell through the cracks and so our administration, whether it's John or um, the three principals, it's just been amazing what effort and time they've been putting into this to make sure it's as best as it can be and that the teachers get the support and that the teachers get an ear. Sometimes mm -hmm. all they need is to be listened to about what went wrong and how, why it was such a problem and how tired they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on, you know, kind of that note a little bit, you know, we, I think many of us in the community are aware that the school district, I think still looking for substitute teachers, um, you know, having that, I guess, so then the need for more subs, is that a challenge of not having enough staff in general? Is it specifically substitutes? And, you know, when it comes to staffing, what are some of the challenges that y'all are seeing or trying to address? I imagine that it can be both a enticing yeah. element, but also um, a difficulty to get people to move to our little community. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as long as I've been on the board, and I guess the first time I was on the board was 12 years ago, um, we've always needed more subs. And and what happens is, if we need a sub and there isn't one available, then um, John ends up in the classroom, or a principal ends up in the classroom, or the front desk lady. I mean staff has to step in and make it happen and um, so we have had a number of um, generous angels come in and sign up get certified get on the rolls and come in and substitute but what we've seen during COVID is simply more illness more people out and and that's so why that's why the need is higher mm -hmm. yeah initially I think um 
people were scared to substitute, you know? They were scared to come into the school. They did not want to get COVID. Um, we never had any spreading events in the school, but I, I mean, I know people that substituted prior to the pandemic that definitely didn't want to afterwards. Um, I've had the great privilege of substituting a number of times. I'm last on the list for them to call, um, but I, I just, there's an, here's another plug. I mean, it is super fun and you really get to know the kids in a different way. And um, for me, it's, it's really important to see the why of what we're doing, like in by seeing the kids, you know that's what that's why we're doing this. Um, and we have really great kids in our community, and they're fun to be with, and they're eager learners and um, diverse group of of humans that you know we can learn a lot from. So I encourage people to take some time and substitute. It's it's quite fun. Um, that brings me back to John. I mean, I think the first day back after winter break, were we short? 33 staff we were uh, short it was something very much like that the first week back was very very tough so i think julia you know part of i mean a answer to part of your question is if staff have to quarantine if staff have a child who is symptomatic therefore they have to be home with their child because their child can't come into school if staff are symptomatic themselves um, all of those reasons really leave us shorter. And while I think we've been extremely fortunate in a year when across the country there are districts who are short multitudes of certified teachers, um, we've, we really have, by and large, with some vacancies we've had to fill, been fully staffed starting at the beginning of the year. Um, but at the support staff piece is really hard and really tenuous. When we are short, some of our um, para para educators, or when a teacher is out and we can't find a sub, and then other teachers have to fill in, it's grueling and it, it's it's burnout material. And that's where again people step up because they know it's what's best. It's what's best for kids, but it's it has been taxing. And I think we. You know, I think I was saying in some of my long emails a year ago, making reference to a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're still sitting here with masks on. And again, we've talked about perseverance, but it it has been challenging for everyone. Um, and one thought I had for clarification, when, when he says a child or a teacher is symptomatic, it doesn't have to be COVID. It can be an ordinary cold. If they've got a runny nose or a cough or a sneeze, and it used to be, teachers would take Dayquil and come in anyways. You know? You can't do that now. And and probably shouldn't have. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've all pushed through sickness yeah. that we probably in the past were like, well, maybe that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cheryl, you mentioned um, you know, wanting to find ways that maybe within the big state picture um, the school district itself can maybe make some changes or find a little bit of wiggle room like with mm -hmm. allowing for more independent study. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, school districts allow for control at the local level on how schools are run, but it is part of a bigger statewide picture. Correct. Um, so how do you feel um, that the Telluride School District maybe fits into that picture and what are some either challenges or um, opportunities that that maybe you feel like this is something special to where we live that maybe the state education system doesn't fully understand so well there's there's a multitude of things but 
one of the so simplest. Like, I can go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. But um, one of the simplest ones is our ski PE. It's such a cultural aspect of our community. And um, what the state does to honor local control but still have control from the state level is they set standards that are meet or exceed. So one example is how many contact hours? How many, and so that's, that is a hard line of how many times is a student in front of a teacher? So for ski PE, for them to count that time, because it's during school day, we had to meet certain requirements and over the years they've questioned it and we've had to adjust and do some things differently to keep it going. Um, our internship program has run into that at different times. How much supervision? Are they really learning anything? How do you monitor it? To make sure that it meets the state requirements for contact hours. And so that's where independent learning, figuring out how, in other words, the state technically wants to be um, achievement oriented, you know, have the students met these uh, goals and standards um, but they still hold on to what we call seat time. How many hours are they looking at a teacher? And in some, there's a lot of times those come into conflict. So I think we're in a transition at a state level. And um, oh, I forget, Kathy Aherns, the commissioner of the Board of Education. Ah, uh, Anthus. Anthus is. Um, very interested in this subject as well and I'm hoping to follow up with her on what her ideas are of how the state can move forward you know, in, in terms of taking what we've learned from COVID and augmenting education and moving into the 21st century. I mean we're 2022 and I feel like we're, we still have this factory model in many ways um, that was designed by the heads of industry you know back in 1912. If you could maybe pick two or three things that you think would be really key to helping increase learning um, that could shift, what would what would those things be? It's a big question. It is. <laughs> so, actually, you know, I, I take this from different studies I've read, um, more than personal experience, but it just makes sense to me. And that is one of the things that happened um, back when they set up the high school standards, the high school units, they call them Carnegie units because Carnegie was one of the inventors. He defined how many hours. They broke up subjects into these discrete subjects. And they're finding that for the modern needs and for the um, way we learn, we're actually better off multidisciplinary. And, um, and so finding a way to get back to more hey, we're working on this big project that uses math and uses writing and uses research and uses um, reading and, and uses collaboration. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the new standards are about developing communication skills, collaboration, inquisitiveness, um, problem solving. Those come from working in groups in big projects more, better than sitting in a desk and listening to a lecture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we've moved, oh, yeah, we've we're moving quite far away from that. But to follow up, I, I fully agree with what you're saying, Cheryl. Um, I, I think hands-on learning is, is 
proven to be a really effective strategy for helping kids learn and and student directed learning you know if they're interested in a topic being able to do the research and finding out the answers and presenting that to the class you can incorporate so many different skills into those activities and again i mean i think we are doing a lot of that but i i think we're going to continue to move in that direction the, the middle, that reminds me, the eighth grade debates are coming up. That's a perfect example of some really hands-on learning. Yeah. The kids are doing some research. They have to debate a topic that they may or may not agree with. Um, and, and it's a valuable tool for learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the eighth grade social studies coming up maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. And, yeah, I think engagement is a key word because, you know, if we're engaged in what we're doing, then we're it's going to really, it's going to sink in. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to learn from it. And so, you know, that's the job of every teacher to do in the classroom, mm-hmm. but there are ways that we can make it work better and some students get engaged when they can work independently and do research. Some students really need to interact and collaborate. Some students need to be hands-on. And, you know, we are, we are relatively small. We are quite remote. So we don't have, you know, a career mm-hmm. tech ed shop programs for students to engage in. That's one of our things we really want to look into we have beautiful outdoors and there's a lot of great outdoor education that happens you know inside our school district outside our school district summer opportunities for students but building more of that in ways that really help students become engaged i think will go a long way and i think that's that's some of our Mm -hmm. long-term goals Mm -hmm. one of the things that um i mentioned when we were doing our um some of our original work on the mission was um, creating sustainability in this town with the community. Like how do, there's some kids are are going to want to move away and live in a city or something different, but there's many kids that will want to come back here. And how do we help prepare them for a job in our local economy? How do we, in food and beverage and in um, ski patrol and um, I don't know, plowing the roads. Like how, what can we do to help prepare kids to come back? doctors, lawyers, nurses, teachers. We really need a lot of teachers yeah. in the future. <laughs> so um, I'd love to help support support those kids that see themselves living here as adults if they can find housing. <laughs> Super high demand job right now across this country is snow plowers. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Bus drivers. Mm-hmm. Bus drivers. So um, creating that long-term generational community, I think um, we can have a big role in that. So... I, I think over the years, some kids feel like they have to leave. Um, in fact, I've had kids that have graduated say to me, like, yeah, I moved back and I love it here so much, but some people kind of think I'm a loser because I came back home. So to change that dialogue, I think, would be really nice. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity here. When you're... Um, ooh. The question just left my brain. Um, oh, yes. Um, when you're thinking about, you know, increasing that hands-on learning, maybe more place-based learning, how does that either balance or bump up with the reality that school districts are still measured by standardized test scores? I can take that one. <laughs> Go Thank for you. it, Tom. That's a fun one Again, for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I firmly believe that if we put students in front of a textbook and a teacher lecturing and say, you need to memorize all this because it's going to be on a standardized test versus engaging them in learning that really helps them understand the content, helps them understand a lot of those, you know, what we call soft skills, what we call 
um, you know, just collaboration, communication, being able to articulate, being able to argue passionately, like mm-hmm. tomorrow's debates for something that you believe in, um, that takes care of itself on a lot of those standardized tests. And while, you know, again, being a two-decade math teacher, you have to figure out how to make math come alive for students and embed math into a lot of that hands-on stuff that you're doing. Um, Students will learn math a lot better than, again, just kind of the rote memorization path. And I think a key part of what you just said is when you use it, you you have a better understanding. When you can demonstrate it to somebody else, you have a better understanding. Memorization only lasts as long as you keep memorizing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And certainly doesn't create much passion for what you're and, doing. And interestingly, more and more colleges are making um, test scores optional mm-hmm. for admissions. Yeah. Oh, which brings up... Go on. <laughs> we oh. have had more students apply for early admission than ever before. We have already 150 acceptances, and that's knowing that a lot of schools won't announce their acceptances until May. Um, Let's see, we've got 756 applications already sent out to 220 different universities. I almost said diversity because that is a diverse number of (laughs) universities. And um, of the acceptances, some of the most notable are Cornell, Bowdoin, University of Michigan, University of Washington, and a wait list for Harvard. So our senior class is doing outstanding. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify on that, 150 acceptances doesn't mean 150 different students accepted. That's bigger than our senior We're, class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some students have been already accepted at multiple schools. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow, that's amazing. Congrats to those students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Be a Mm-hmm. weight lifted off of those mm-hmm. shoulders. Um, Jill, you mentioned uh, the, the mission and vision for the school district. Um, can you talk a little bit what you, what you mean by that? What is that? And, and how does it help focus how the district moves? So we, as a board and with John, as well as with some outside support, have been um, working on our vision um, for the better part of a year now, um, Cheryl alluded to that earlier. It came a part. Um, it came along as part of the policy governance. Um, policy governance requires us to highlight what we want to focus on, and then we build goals for John to um, to initiate. Um, and what we wanted to do is create our our vision. Um, is it a vision or mission? Well, <laughs> we yeah, have a lot yeah, of buzzwords. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we wanted to embed um, our, our main themes into our new vision mission. Um, and so it's had many iterations. It's, um, it's been, we went on a constant kind of uphill path in developing it. And then in our last board meeting, we came to a bit of a standstill. And, um, you know, which is, again, I said, we have good dialogue between our board. It's good that that we're not quite in agreement because we all need to really like believe in this um, yeah. and and know that this these are the words that we stand by and the mm-hmm. why of what we do. So we're um, at a little bit of a standstill and we're we're asking for some help with the person that first helped um, someone from CASB, the Colorado Association of School Board, is going to come back and give us some advice on getting it to the 
finish line soon. Yeah. Um, but it basically highlights what we want to accomplish, why we're doing what we're doing at the school, and what our values are. Um, and then it, it will, we can literally look at our vision and help use that to evaluate John and then see what our strengths are, what we're doing well, and where we need to continue to improve. Mm -hmm. So it's our it will be our guiding statement. And, and one of the, the steps that you missed, but we all went through it, <laughs> was, what, seven different public meetings and staff oh, yeah. meetings to get thoughts, inputs, what's important. Came up with a, a laundry list of important items that are all important to education, but mm -hmm. then trying to group them and synthesize them down to meaningful statements and then still have bullet points underneath of what does that mean for us mm -hmm. as a community. This is meant to be something that is that highlights Telluride School, not education in general. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you make a good point, Cheryl, to, to reiterate. We did, this is not a board statement, this is a school statement. So we took a lot of feedback from the community and staff. And when, and when we get a version that we feel good about, we'll go back we to them and say, do you them. feel good too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that this works is the the kind of jargony name for the, the various levels of kind of that vision and mission are ends because it's really where do we want to end up? What are the ends? What are the outcomes that we want to have students achieve and our school system achieve? And the board will then ask me to, through what are going to be called, again, a little bit jargony, but monitoring reports, demonstrate and provide evidence that we're actually meeting those ends. And that's the structure that the policy governance model Or we haven't will, met it, how provide, far along are we? Right. Yeah. Um, for us to say, are we achieving what we really want to achieve? And, and where do we need to move our focus to say, okay, we feel like we have an understanding of that, but now this is what we need to look at next and that's where the board gives me that direction to lead our district in saying let's achieve what we said is important mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and some of the values in there are things that cheryl talked mm -hmm. about like creating different opportunities for learning for mm -hmm. kids and that's one of the things that our community values and we value so um it highlights a, a number of different ways that we help children and what we value yeah. Speaking of ends, we are nearing the end of our hour. I genuinely don't know how it went so quickly. Um, but both for you, Cheryl and Jill, obviously you are on the school board now. You still have a number of years left to go, mm -hmm. um, for better or worse. Thank you. <laughs> for better, you? I think. Yeah, I've, I've got two and I could rerun if I choose. Okay. There you go. Sure she will. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in that time that you have left on the school board, but also recognizing you won't be on it forever. There will be a new generation of folks to take those spots. Where do you hope to see the school district going? Like on a personal level, what do you want to see the school district look like in five, 10, 15, 20 years? Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I hope John's still here. <laughs> He's been awesome. We're really excited to get past this pandemic and really get back to like not talking about testing and masks and all of the things related to the pandemic. So we can really get back to just 100% of our focus being on school. So that's kind of a short term. I honestly feel like once we get this policy governance thing nailed down, that we'll be handing a more effective board structure to the next 
generation of board mm-hmm. members. So that will be really, really good too. What I hope is that we continue to develop a really great community of kids and staff and that we provide an excellent education for every kid, no matter where they are and what their needs are. Mm-hmm. So so I'd say yeah, in the next two years, I'm hoping to really get this policy governance and the the mission and the and statements solidified and, and usable so that it passes on so that there's a consistency mm-hmm. through the different personalities, the different people that come through. Mm-hmm. There, you continue that thread. And we've always had an excellent school system. It's one reason I live here since, geez, 87? The olden days. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> the dinosaur days. And, um, yeah, that was back when there were still vacant lots on Main Street. But anyway, <laughs> um, but just... In my mind, as great as it is, there's always that room for improvement. There's always that room for more consistency or the changes that um, a modern education call for as we move into the future. And so having a system set up that can facilitate those changes in a smooth and uh, camaraderie way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Final question before I get final thoughts. So I guess second <laughs> final question. Um, obviously, in each of y'all's roles in the school district, there's many moving parts, a lot of things going on. And I think those of us who are, depending on our level of involvement, we know either a lot of those things or maybe not many of those things. What is something that is going on in the district that you think deserves more attention, has maybe slides under the radar a little bit but you think really should be championed a little bit more i mean mean, right now i i just think hats off to our educators who Mm -hmm. have worked diligently these past couple years through some huge hurdles to educate our kids and then hats off to the kids who have shown up and Mm -hmm. powered through i mean i think that's where the attention needs to be just everyone for showing up every day and doing their very best and i'd say beyond that just some of the joy that you can see when they do their holiday concert and when they're playing at recess, when they bring home their art project. Um, we had our an eighth grader submit art project to the CASB convention in December. She got a blue ribbon and, um, and they liked it so much they asked it to use it for their Christmas card. And she said, okay. And it, so those accomplishments and those joys, I think, get overlooked when we look at the hardships and mm-hmm. the difficulties. Mm-hmm. I want to follow up on that, too. I'm super grateful that we value the fine arts in our schools and have kids have the opportunity mm-hmm. for great music opportunities, art opportunities, drama, um, the languages, just all of these things. I feel like there's something for everybody, um, and I, we really value that in our district so and and yeah. given her success and and frankly it doesn't it's art it doesn't success doesn't really matter like you just create art um we're glad that we can do that for our kids so we have a really good specials program we call it so just want to follow up on that too yeah john did you have anything you wanted to add i think jill really pegged it with that because what I was going to say is just the you know if you want to call it um well-rounded but I think you know 
excellence in many areas, the programs that we offer, and giving the students the opportunity to get into these amazing colleges, not necessarily just because of their proficiency and achievement in math and science and, you know, literacy, but because they come from a unique place and they have become um, awesome, unique individuals. And that's what we really want to develop in the students that we, you know, that we educate. Mm -hmm. I w one more thing to add. One of the other things that makes our school great is, is the diversity. And I think a lot of people maybe sometimes picture our school as being kind of white and wealthy in the mountains. And um, that isn't what we look like anymore. And it's a good thing. We have diversity within mm -hmm. our schools. We have a number of languages spoken and very different socioeconomic backgrounds, kids that live in mm -hmm. outlying towns. And, and it creates a lot more depth to our student body. And we're grateful for that. And I've always appreciated that. I can remember when we were looking for a new elementary school down Valley, couldn't find an appropriate property. The one that we thought would work was in a flood zone. And so, but I like the fact that we ended up all in the same buildings. We're not, we don't have two elementary schools or mm -hmm. two middle schools or, mm -hmm. you know, we're all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we are actively out of time, <laughs> but I would love if any of you have final thoughts or um, comments you'd like to share with our listeners this evening. Well, thank you for listening. I mean, I love to brag about our schools and, and giving us this opportunity. That's one reason the hour flew by so quick. There's, there's so much that we can highlight. And um, ask questions. You know, and, and we're willing and welcoming of the difficult mm -hmm. questions as well. And um, so, yeah, I'm proud. Mm -hmm. Julia, we didn't inspire you to play Pink Floyd the Wall, did we? Of course <laughs> <you> did. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> we do need an education. <laughs> I'm going to actively... Oh, there, that's how here. we're going to sign off. <laughs> that is how we're going to sign off. Um, <laughs> spelling things. There we go. Um, here we go. Making this work. There we go. I think. I think I found the right one. Um, on that note... <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you all so much for being here and joining this evening. Coda listeners, that's the time we have left. We're going to be back with more Off the Record coming up next week. Of course, news until then. John, Jill, Cheryl, thank you so much for coming in and talking all things school board and education. Thank you for having thank us. Julie, yeah. our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Oh, you, you.